Thank you, Kathy and Greg. This happens to be one of my favorite songs, that tune, My Jesus, I Love Thee. It's very good. Today we begin our journey uh, to the cross and then the empty tomb. This is the first Sunday in Lent. Actually, this began, this journey began this past Wednesday with our Wednesday, Ash Wednesday service. And if you're unfamiliar with this season in the church uh, called Lent, uh, let me explain it a little bit, very briefly to you. Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. If you don't count Sundays, Easter's. And it is a season that is uh, a season of reflection, a season of self-denial, a season of preparation for the risen Lord, a, a season of getting ready to celebrate the forgiveness of sins each year. It's always started on Ash Wednesday with a service of repentance and confession. And uh, this year we offered our COVID-safe version, our drive-through version. We saw nearly uh, 200 people come through the drive-through uh, to receive the imposition of ashes on their hands. Uh, had a couple ask for it on their head, on their foreheads. Uh, in addition to that, there were nearly 80 youth and their leaders that uh, participated in receiving the ashes during the time of youth on Wednesday night as we all prepare for this season of the year. Now, why do we do this every year? Well, for one, we are reminding ourselves that we are not God. You're not God, I'm not God, we are not God, but rather we are God's good creation. We remember our mortality, and we pause just for a moment to come face to face with the reality that we will not live in this body forever. It is temporary. The psalmist writes in Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death, they are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Well, what, a, what a reality check for us of how brief life is. And we, we think of how long things are, how long we've been uh, quarantined, how long we've had to deal with certain things in our lives or ailments or things like this. And, and really it's a very brief niche in time when it comes to eternity. It is a page turn. It is very quick, and it shows how impatient we can be as human beings. So this season of the of year is a time to confront and to confess our sin, to recognize our inability to live up to all that God has created us to be and our need to be forgiven. That is what this season is all about. Romans 3.23 is often quoted. It reminds us that no matter how far we've come in our spiritual journey, how holy we may be, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every one of us. We are born into a broken world, and we are in, born in need of redemption. So, why the 40 days? Why, why did they pick this arbitrary number? Why did the church do this? Well, in Scripture, we find the number 40 as significant. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all fasted in the desert for 40 days each. 
The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. The three uh, kings of Israel that were following after God, Saul and David and Solomon, each reigned for 40 years each. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days before David took him out with a slingshot and a rock. And when God destroyed the earth to start it over with the flood, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is significant. Whether you are fasting in order to hear from God, or whether you are following God through times of preparation and the pro- for the promised land, whether you are leading people as a leader, as a faithful witness of God's promise and His provision, or whether you are living into new life after the rain, God's preferred future is in front of you. And we don't want, don't want to neglect this season, these 40 days, to get us there. So, the question is, how do we thrive in our today when our future looks so challenging? We know as we get older, as life goes on, things come up, things happen, they challenge us, there are temptations around us. Well, I want us to look in Matthew today, um, for and I want to give you a little bit of context around Matthew 4, Matthew 3, uh, we find Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and it wasn't because he needed to repent of his sins, because he was sinless, but it was to embrace the fullness of God Almighty and his faithfulness, and to demonstrate that he belonged to God the Father. Now, one of the things we do in the church is we baptize infants in the Methodist church, and one of the things that happens at that baptism is God is telling us by marking with water, saying, I love you before you even know I exist. God is declaring the provenient grace, that grace that goes before us in our baptism, saying, I love you before you even acknowledge that I exist. And when we turn around at confirmation or as a young adult or an adult and we turn around and say, I want to follow after you, God, I want to follow you in baptism, then we are saying, God, I love you back. I want to be devoted to you. I want to claim you as my heavenly father. And that's what Jesus was doing in baptism. He was saying, I want to show all of you that I am faithful to God and that I love him. He is my Father, and I belong to Him. Now, you may remember the scene in Scripture where Jesus goes down to the water, and and John says, I'm not fit to do this. And he says, no, you must to fulfill Scripture. And so Jesus is baptized, and when He's coming up out of the water, the heavens open up, and it says, the Spirit of God descended on Him what looked like a dove. And a voice from heaven uh, spoke and said, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. As a witness to all those around there saying, This is my beloved Son. Now, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. This is the first act of launching into ministry at all, his public service. He is, he is at the front end. He hasn't been to the wedding feast and changed water into wine yet. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't done anything. This is just the first thing that he's doing. And he's dedicating his life to God the Father. It's the very first thing that he does in following after God. And then we pick up in Matthew 4, beginning of verse 1. And it reads this way, the very next thing, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And we all say, I'll bet. 
The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones to become bread. Isn't that what you'd be thinking about? You'd be thinking about food after you end your fast. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he asked again, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. And look at what the devil does. He starts quoting Scripture. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus counters that and says, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, for the next few minutes, let's walk through this test, this text, and see if we can learn how we might move from survival mode in, in life, from just getting by, to a life that thrives. How do we thrive as followers of Christ? How do we thrive in a world that is so full of tension and temptation? Well, when we look at this first verse, it's interesting to me that it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. And the Spirit there in, in our Bibles is written with a capital S, which means it's a, it's a noun. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you look at this and you say, wait, wait, what? Did I, did I just read that right? Yes, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And you say, what in, what in the world, what on earth can this mean? Don't we pray things like, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil? I mean, isn't that part of the prayer that he taught us to pray? Well, yes, it is. So what does this mean? What is all this about? Well, one commentary explains it this way. It writes that, as the exaltation of Jesus' baptism experience kind of fades, after the voice of God saying, this is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit descends on him, he gets away from that high spiritual experience. The Spirit leads him to this, this time of searching his heart. And yes, the accompanying testing. Did you really mean what you did? How are you going to live this out? You've had the high moment. Now how will you live into the everyday moment? The time when, when temptations come. How will we do this? This was the devil's chance. And this is personal. Temptation is always personal, isn't it? You always think you're the only one. It's a lonely business. And you think, no one else has to struggle with this, or I am so weak, I'm the only one that deals with this. Because it's a lonely business, and Jesus was very much by himself during this time. Now we find in this text three temptations. We're going to walk back through them real quickly. 
And the two of them begin with, if you are the Son of God, challenging Jesus and who he is. First one, work a miracle for the satisfaction of an immediate need. You deserve this. You're hungry. Use your power. Use your, uh, your resources to satisfy yourself, to fix something for yourself. The second one, if you are the Son of God, prove to yourself that give us a, a convincing sign that you belong to God. Throw yourself from this. God will take care of you, right? And the third one speaks to his ego. All this will be yours. You can exercise your political power and your influence and all the wealth that comes with it. I will give it all to you. Rabbis would teach that Satan stirs up the evil impulse in man and then seduces him or her into sin and then denounces us before God and then punishes us with death. There's just kind of this cycle. In each case, we are met at our time of need, our weakness with the seduction. You deserve this. You're hungry. Take care of your need. And in this weakness, there is something that is there. And, and we want to satisfy this, this need or this felt thing inside of us uh, instead of settling for um, God's best. And very quickly, the one that says, oh, you deserve this, the seducer becomes the accuser. And as soon as you give in, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have, and I'm going to guarantee you that if we got real with each other, you'd probably agree with me. No one will know. It's only this one time. It's not going to hurt anything. You know that you deserve this. You know it's, it's going to feel good. It's going to taste good. It's going to do whatever. And you give in, and as soon as you do, the accuser comes around and goes, I can't believe you did that. You gave in so easily. You call yourself a Christian? You call yourself committed? You see how the seducer became the accuser just that quick. And then he turns right around and says, you know what? You're probably going to hell for that. I'm going to put you to death for that. Temptation leads us down that cycle where we end up beating ourselves up. Instead of finding the deliverer that sets us free. Instead of saying, wait a minute. Scripture tells me that I'm going to stumble. It tells me that I'm going to fall. But he also tells me there is forgiveness in Christ. There is a way to live beyond this, a way to avoid and learn how to even spot temptation where I don't have to just get by and remember to ask for forgiveness every time, but that I can live in a life of victory. And Jesus, Jesus models this better way. The truth is, we don't have to merely survive, but we can actually thrive as God's children. That first temptation Jesus faced was to put himself and his base felt need for hunger, satisfaction on the bargaining table. The challenge to turn stone into something edible was a trick to see if Jesus would look past his higher calling of obedience to God and give in to this game. And at first glance, it looks harmless. Oh, it's just, it's just a stone I'm going to change to bread, a parlor trick to the omnipotent. But the hungry Jesus sees the source of all life as God the Father, not the ability to meet his own needs and prove himself to Satan. 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is God who sustains. It is God who gives life. In another place in Matthew, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first God, then everything else will come. The second temptation of Jesus is one that uh, is a challenge to us as well, and it's to put God to the test. And we do this a lot, folks. Prove your love for me, God. Prove that you're hearing my prayer by answering it this way. I want to know you are real, so show yourself to me. Prove yourself to me. And Satan again and again asks, if you are the Son of God, say to yourself, throw, say, throw yourself from this high place, and he quotes scripture. Now, I'm sure this was a struggle for Jesus as well. And I wonder if he already knew that the cross lay before him at that point. Certainly, Satan knew the only way to, to defeat death was, uh, and sin would be through the death of a perfect sacrifice. So this test, asking God, will you really protect me, is a challenge and it's a challenge of, will I trust God to be God no matter what the outcome? In order to thrive, we need to remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. And he will make your path straight. The third temptation speaks to the easy way. And I think we really, really like the easy way. Satan often offers power and influence. The path of least resistance. For a young man starting out in his life and in his ministry. Recognition and money. Uh, the world, uh, you know, it would certainly uh, make his ministry a whole lot easier. Maybe he wouldn't have to uh, go around and, and stay in people's homes and use borrowed things all the time. He could have just used his power and his money to do those things. And it accompanied this temptation. This is the offer of fame and fortune and anything that goes with it, if you know the line from Queen. We are the champions, by the way. That's what I'm quoting. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind. Literally, he is asking him to sell his soul to the devil who said, all this I will give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Surrender your mission. Surrender the purpose of God and bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no way. You know, sitting in church or watching online and, and you're, you're focused in on a, a Sunday morning mes message it's really easy to look at these deceptions and think, these aren't that, aren't that tough. I'm putting God first right now in my life. No, it's, it's Monday that is the hard part. And Tuesday, it's sitting at the board meeting or, or with your staff or looking at your boss or, or whatever that, 
that gives a, that says, I need you to give me more. I need you to neglect your family. I need you to neglect your spouse. I need you to, to neglect your, your integrity or whatever. I need you to put these things first, and then I will make you a millionaire. I will make you uh, great and mighty and give you power. You will see how you will advance in this world and be given all this dominion. And all these things come to us in subtle little ways. Compromise here, compromise there, and compromise is the enemy of thrive. Jesus is clear. He says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Put him first. You see, the season of Lent is, is about recognizing our sin, how we have been tempted and lost, and repenting, confessing to Jesus that we are in a hole. That we have somehow gone into this dark place and some of us don't even realize it's dark. It's like the sun has set and you're sitting in the room and you kind of look up and go, gosh, it's dark in here. We kind of end up there and we don't know how we got there, but we end up in this dark place. And it's been by choice. Subtle, small steps of disobedience that move us further and further and further away from Christ. But during this season, we're reminded that we have wandered. And we ask Jesus for forgiveness. To be restored, to be brought back uh, into fellowship with our Maker. King David had a friend point out his sin to him. And he cried out to him, and he writes in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Powerful prayer of confession. Powerful when we're confronted. Lexi Lowler was a, uh, a rancher, a sheep rancher out west, and she had tried everything to stop the coyotes from killing her sheep. She used the odor sprays, she used electric fences, she used scare coyotes. Uh, she slept with her lambs in the summer. She placed battery-operated radios with, near them. She corralled them at night. She herded them by day. But this southern Montana rancher 
um, lost scores of sheep. She lost 50 in one year alone. And then she discovered the llama. The aggressive, funny-looking, afraid-of-nothing llama of all things. She said, llamas don't appear to be afraid of anything. She says, when they see something, they put their head up high and they walk straight toward it. And that aggressive behavior, or that what appears to be aggressive behavior, is enough to scare a coyote away. Coyotes are opportunists, and they see the llama taking the opportunity away. Isn't that crazy? Who would think that a llama could be so helpful in dealing with coyotes? You know, apparently llamas know something about the truth of what James writes about in chapter 4, verse 7. He says, resist evil, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The moment we sense the attack of the evil one is the moment that we face it and deal with it for what it is. That's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled for us. The devil came and said, if you are, and he addressed it. Now, some of us, we're gonna, it takes a little more time to realize we're actually being tempted. So maybe we have to ask ourselves, am I alone? Am I tired? Am I hungry? Am I emotionally weak at this moment? Am I vulnerable or feeling, uh, or feeling that I need to prove myself? And, you know, did I get enough sleep last night? Did I, you know, am I tired? What is going on? And we need to put ourselves into this place and go, why am I feeling so drawn to this thing? that is not good for me? Why am I acting the way I am? Why am I spewing out anger at people? Why am I getting mad about these things? Why am I feeling so hurt? Why am I so tempted? And realize that it is the tempter coming. And turn and face your fears, face the devil and say, get away from me. And then turn your eyes to Jesus for the answer. Because He alone is the one that will make you thrive. Avoiding the temptation, asking for forgiveness, and following after Christ. That's how we thrive. May God bless us in our journey. Let's pray together. Father, we give you all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength. We dedicate ourselves to you and honor you with our life. Father, fill us with hope. Remind us of your promises. Draw scripture to mind as we seek your face, as we live our lives, as we make our way. Forgive us, O oh God. Prepare us as we move even closer to the celebration of resurrection as we live lives that are full of power and love. Fill us afresh, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.